Well, good morning, Bethel. I should have watched the video. I was a little bit late. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, as you may know, my name is Andrew. I'm the youth pastor here at Bethel Church, and so I oversee uh, 6th grade through uh, 12th grade at all the campuses. I also am overseeing the young adult ministry for all those campuses as well. And so basically 6th grade to like 20s. I'm, I'm your guy. I'm here for you. So that's kind of my role here at Bethel Church. Uh, it's my second time being able to bring you the word. Pastor Jared is over at Crown Point. We kind of did a flip-flop sermon thing where he taught one, and I taught one, and then we're flip-flopping. And so it kind of helped me out a little bit. I only had to write one and a half sermons. So uh, I really appreciate that. <clears throat> we are going to be in the same passage as Jared uh, preached last week. Uh, last week, Pastor Jared preached on um, the passage Matthew 22, looking at how we, God's, Jesus' command simplified is love God and love others. And so Pastor Jared talked last week about how we can love others, how uh, our love for God, how it starts with that. The outflow, the connection is how we turn around with God's love and we give it to others. <clears throat> We share God's love with other people. And so this morning, we're going to go back and maybe start with the very, very beginning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn back to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. As you maybe flip there, I uh, will pray, and we'll dig into Scripture this morning. Let's pray. Father, help us understand your word. As always, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the truth. We need the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to correct us, to lead us, to... Do, uh, help us understand your word in any way, shape, or form that's going to be gospel changing. And so, Lord, help us understand it well this morning. Help us apply it well this morning, too. And so, Lord, may everything we do say and think today glorify you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So, this morning, we're talk- looking at the bottom line the bottom line of loving God. What does that mean? What does it look like? Why is this the bottom line? And in, in some reality, it's kind of the bottom line of everything. Of the whole series, it sometimes could probably be, just be boiled down to loving God. Uh, and so if you were not with us last week, let me give you some context. If you were here, I apologize, but let's just do some, some text uh, summary of what's going on. In this passage, Jesus is getting towards the very end of his uh, ministry. He's been doing ministry for three years. He's been teaching. He's been serving. He's been leading. He's been healing people. He's been shocking people. He's been saying some hard things for people to understand, but he's getting towards the very end of it. He has just done the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Jerusalem has welcomed him as king uh, with the palm branches, Palm Sunday as we know it. Um, and Jesus has the few moments left to teach and to share wisdom and to help us understand God more. And so Jesus goes on this big teaching spree towards the very end, moments before he is going to be arrested, moments before he is going to be arrested and tortured, and moments before he's going to die and be separated from his heavenly father. He is moments away from this, and that he wants to teach more. He wants to give us more things. And so people are listening. They're intent except for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everyone else. They, they want to stop Jesus from teaching. They want to stop Jesus from being him. And so they ask him these questions, not to gain wisdom, not to know scripture more, but they're asking Jesus these questions 
so that they can trap him, so that they can find fault in him, so they can maybe get him arrested a different way and get him out of the way. And so their questions were are some weird and some good. Question number one is a really good question. They asked the question, should we pay taxes to Caesar? It's a very good question, right? They were being in control by Rome. Uh, they didn't want to be, but Rome ruled everything. And so they said, well, should we keep giving money to Caesar when really we don't want to, right? We're being forced to. Should we do this or should we keep the money, do something else? And Jesus' answer is just amazing. He says, well, whose face is on the coin? Well, Caesar's face. And then he does this amazing answer. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, which is what Jesus is trying to do is like, he doesn't care about your titles. He doesn't care about your authority. He doesn't care about who you are. He doesn't care about your money. He cares about you, you. Give you to God. Give yourself to God. Everything you are, give to God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they miss it. They miss that wonderful lesson. So they go to question number two, which is super weird. They give a scenario that said, Jesus, there's this woman and her husband dies. And by law and custom, she has to marry the single next brother. So she marries brother number two and he dies. And then she marries brother number three and he dies. All the way to brother number seven. So either she is cursed or she needs to be arrested because there's some shady stuff going on with this woman. Right? But... That's the weird story, and I really didn't dive into it because it's weird and we don't have time. But Jesus' simplified answer is, who cares? There's no marriage in heaven. You're with God the Father. You're in heaven. Why do you care about who's who? Look to Christ. Look to God. You will be in his glory forever. And they miss it. They don't listen to what Jesus has to say. And then we get to question number three, which is our text today. So if you have your Bibles, we can read it again together. Hopefully this is getting more familiar to you. <clears throat> but this is what God's word says, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him or to trap him. Uh, the teacher, which... Or uh, He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So that's the text. That's the third question, the good question. That which is the greatest commandment? Now, we're going to see how this is a trap. We're going to see what they were trying to accomplish. But when we hear the word commandment, maybe when you heard it last week when Pastor Jared taught on this, you thought of the big ten, right? When I think of the ten commandments, I think of those. I always think of Charlton Heston walking down the mountain. You guys remember that movie, Ten Commandments, like old school movie? I used to watch it every Thanksgiving or Christmas. I can't remember which, but... Every year I'd watch that, and Charles Heston would come down, he'd see the craziness, and he'd throw the stones. I'm like, that's crazy. But I think of those, right? Don't, uh, you shall not kill, honor your father and mother, uh, keep the Sabbath holy. I remember, and I think of the Big Ten, but that's not what they're asking. They're not asking which of the Big Ten are important. He's asking, out of all the commands, which one is the best? And Jared shared that there were 613 commandments. Out of those 613 rules instructions, there were 248 positive ones, do this, help them, love them, great commands, 
is it one of those? Is it one of the positive commands that we're supposed to maybe sum it all up? Or maybe it's one of the 365 negative commands, right? Which one encapsulates it? Don't do this. Please don't do this. Knock it off, right? Those commands, knock it off, right? Maybe it's one of those. Maybe one of those commands takes all 613 and sums it up really well. And this isn't a, a, a new question for Israel. They've been asking this question for generations, wanting to know, how can we sum up the law of God? How can, what should we focus on? Uh, sometimes they land on Proverbs uh, 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. It's a good one. It's a great proverb. But I don't know if it sums up all of the law into one statement. Sometimes they go to Habakkuk 2, 4. The righteous shall live by faith. It's a great one. They talked about that one a lot. But I don't know if it sums it up either. So Jesus answers by kind of a, a, a two-answer. He takes Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's how I remember it. Heart, soul, mind for some reason. Uh, or, and there, then he takes Leviticus and he combines the two. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he puts them on equal playing field. He says, both love God and love others are of equal and great importance. These two sum up all of the commandments, all of the prophets, all that's been said, all the rules, all the instructions can simply be these two things. If you pursue these two things, all right, we're good. We're going somewhere. And I'm really glad he did that because if you think about all the rules Israel had to follow, there are rules for when you wake up. There are rules for evening. There are rules for every day. There was rules for every week. There are rules for certain months. That's a lot of things to obey. Um, back when I was younger, um, sometimes here on Highway 41 sometimes, I might have been pulled over a time or two. Um, I did grow up in the region, mostly in uh, Crown Point for a few years, but then Munster most of the way. And I, I came out this way sometimes, and I was young, and I got pulled over a lot. Um, and so when you get pulled over quite a bit, and a cop pulls up behind you, you get a little paranoid. And so I developed this habit. Whenever there's a cop behind me, still to this day sometimes, uh, I just pull over. I just take a side street. I go into a parking lot, and I just chill. I let the cop do what he needs to do, not follow me, right? I, I'm, just, I'm afraid if my seatbelt's buckled, or my, are my brake light's still working. I know my light, if you see my car, my license plate's crooked because I only have one screw in it, and the duct tape keeps melting in the heat. Um, I don't know if that's illegal, but I'm a little paranoid about it, and I haven't fixed it. So, like, I'm afraid I'm breaking a law that I don't mean to break. I don't want to break, but it's just for me easier. I just, let's just abandon the plan and get off the road. Israel had to have felt that weight of every moment of every day. There were things they had to do. Otherwise, they were sinning. And Jesus says, forget the 613. If you sum it up and pursue these two things, you will honor God. I like a summary. I like the shortened up. It's like if you play board games, I'm kind of a board game nerd. I love this. this they sometimes give you a summary sheet. Some of these board games have booklets of rules, or they give you like a quick start play. That's what I want, a quick start play to loving God and honoring God and pursuing Christ. That's what I want, and that's what Jesus gives us. 
Maybe you can think of it this way. This is not a Bethel-approved logo, just so you know. I made this. I didn't run it through the proper channels. Uh, it's pretty bad graphic, uh, poorly made. But there it is. Uh, that, that's my five-second graphic. But this is how I remember. This is how I think of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying uh, there's love God peg, and there's the love others peg, but all of the laws, all of the prophets, everything is clung to, dependent upon these. And all the commands just hang between these two. If you love God but remove the love others part, if you love God but you hate his people, if you love God but hate his mission to save the lost, you don't really love God because you don't know him, right? If you love other people and you're a great person, and you serve a lot, and you give a lot, you do projects, and you help your neighbors, and you give meals and food, but you don't have a relationship with God. You're a nice person, but you're doing of nothing of eternal significance. Nothing that's going to last in eternity. Nice person, but they don't know their Savior. And that's what Jesus is helping the people know, the Pharisees know, his disciples know, that these two are huge and we have to do both. We have to obey both. So this morning, we're just going to focus on the love God part. <clears throat> love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. One of the words that stuck out to me that weighed heavy on me, honestly, is the word all. All of my heart all of my soul, all of my mind, all of me needs to be all completely, fully loving God. God wants us, his children, to love him completely. Love the Lord that saved us. Love God that forgave us. Love the God that redeems us. Love the God that blesses us. Love the God that gifts us. <clears throat> love the God that loved you first. That's it. Our hearts and our actions need to be bent towards loving God. Now, loving someone um, requires a few things. Uh, we're not going to get into relationship love, but loving someone, if I can simplify some of the things that love really is, loving someone is you want the best for someone, whether it's a friend love or a spouse love or family love, you want the best for someone. If you love someone, you, care, you want them to be happy. You want them to be joy-filled. You want them to be pursuing their dreams. You want them to have safety and security. You want them to have everything their hearts desires, right? When I met my wife, Amanda, we were at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And when I knew I really, really, really loved her and I wanted like marriage to be a thing, I, I sacrificed for her, right? When you love someone, you give up things, and uh, I knew my bank account had about $300 in it. And I knew a wedding ring should be more than that. And so I sacrificed. I cut out all Slurpees. And I cut out all my hamburger runs at Jay's. You ever been to Jay's? You ever been to Jay's at Moody? No? Oh, dude. $5 burgers and fries after 10 p.m. Amazing, right? Cut it all out. I sacrificed, Right? Maybe, uh, maybe something more practical, more serious. Uh, if a friend calls you at 3 in the morning because you love this friend, you ignore the first call, but they call back and you answer the second time, and they're struggling, they're hurting, right? And so because you love them, you're going to talk to them, and you're going to pray with them, you're going to encourage them, right? But if they call 
three days in a row, four days in a row, they're getting blocked, to be honest. Like, my phone's on silent. I'll talk to you in the morning. My love, a little bit limited with friends. But if a spouse calls you or uh, talks to you in the morning or wakes you up middle of the night, they're struggling, they're hurting, their mind is going, anxiety is up, you're going to talk to your spouse. You're going to encourage them. You're going to pray with them. You're going to hold them. If your spouse wakes you up day two, day three, day four, you're still there, right? Because your love is greater. Your love is more. Your love is more sacrificial. Your love is just more. You want to give all of yourself. How much love do we have for our Savior? Our love for Jesus, our love for God should be all of us all the time, always. So what does that really look like? And so when I want to know, I go to scripture, I go to the Bible, where do I see this type of love? Where do I see this modeled outside of Jesus? I know he's the Sunday school answer and the right one. But where else do I see examples of people giving their all? Where else do I see this allness for God? Uh, we did our Go Local mission trip a few weeks ago. We lived here at the campus. Uh, we slept here in the church, and it was weird and creepy at night, but it was awesome. Um, all churches are creepy at night. They're just a little scary. Uh, but we were teaching our students to do hard things, to give all of themselves, even when it's hard, even when it's hot, even when it's raining, we're going to pull weeds, and we're going to paint, and we're going to knock down walls, and we're going to pull staples out of floors. We're going to do hard things because Christ has called us to love others. And it was hard. And our students gave their all. They did amazing work. Amazing work. But we also looked at scripture. We looked at Esther. In the story of Esther, God's people uh, were going to be exterminated. They were going to be killed. All of them, including the queen, Queen Esther. And I think she gave her all. She wrote a letter to her uncle Mordecai saying, I will go to the king, though it against the law. She couldn't just walk in and like hang out with her husband, which was weird, but it was. She couldn't just walk into the throne room and like have a chat with her husband, with the king. She said, I will, <clears throat> I will go to the king, though it against law, and if I perish, I perish. If he kills me, he kills me. But I know Esther knew God promised a Messiah, and he was not here yet. So she knew God's people weren't to be executed. They were not to be exterminated because the Messiah still needed to come. She knew the word, she believed the word, and she gave it all and risked it all to save the people, and she did. We looked at the story of Jericho, the walls of Jericho and Joshua. I think Joshua gave down, laid down in that moment all of his pride, all of his earthly wisdom, and walked in faith. Instead of storming the, the walls or digging under or doing some kind of cool tactic like the Trojan horse, they walked around a city and looked stupid. Honestly, stupid, right? All of Jericho's laughing at them. What are you doing? You're marching, you're playing music. That's not going to do anything. You're not intimidated in us. You look silly. And yet he, lay, he gave all of himself, trusted God, and won. Another story we didn't talk about, I go local, but I think of the story of the widow who gave the penny. Jesus is in the temple and he's watching people tithe. He's watching people worship. He's people watching, right? And uh, he sees a bunch of these rich people come in, right? All their fancy clothes, pull up in their fancy chariots, right? And they walk on up and everyone's getting out of their way. Here's the rich people. And they're throwing bags of money on the altar. And they're worshiping God. And Jesus says this in verse 44. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, this poor woman who walked up and paved a penny... 
But out of her poverty, she put everything she had, all she had to live on. She gave all she had. She was probably going hungry that day. She might be hungry tomorrow because she gave that penny, but she gave all to Yahweh because she loved God. Now that's inspiring. These moments, these stories in scripture are, are awesome. And maybe they get you excited to serve God. Maybe they get you excited to worship. Maybe they get you excited to follow Jesus more. But to be honest, I, I sometimes get discouraged. I get discouraged because I, I don't love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind all the time. I can't even do it for five minutes. I, I fail at loving God. This one commandment, we have one big thing, love God, love others. I can't do it. And so I find myself discouraged. I find myself hopeless. I find myself confused and questioning my security. I find myself walking away from God more than I do pursuing God because I see what God's standard is and I see how far short I come. I can't love God with all I am. You cannot love God with all you are. You fail as much as I do. I think what Jesus is doing here is setting up just like he did with the Old Testament. The Old Testament, all 613 were impossible to obey, which was supposed to give hope and joy for the Messiah to come because the Messiah can. And now that the Messiah came, Jesus, he says, hey, love me completely always. But you can't unless you have me. I think this, this, this battle I have of wanting to love God Want, having the heart to honor him with everything I do say and think, and the fact that I can't is the same thing that Martin Luther calls simultaneously saint and sinner. Simultaneously, at the same time, you and I, if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, we are both saints, adopted children of God, and still sinners. We are both, in this world, these two identities. We have two IDs. Child of God, sinful body. These are who we are until Christ perfects us in heaven. So I've been walking with Jesus for 8,200 plus days. I did the math. I kind of remember-ish when I was saved, right? But for over 8,000 days, I have failed at this one commandment. So what do we do about it? What is our action step? If we are here as children of God, failing every single day to love God, and it's kind of hopeless because in our flesh, we are completely tainted with sin. Our worship, our prayer, our study, our service, our tithing is tainted because of our sinful bodies. Where is the hope? Well, I got three things I think can maybe change our perspective from being maybe despairing to hopeful, joyful, and worshipful of Jesus Christ. The first thing is this, if we, if we want to love God with all we are, we have to know what God's word actually says. You have to know what his word is. You have to know the voice of God. You have to know his promises. It requires us to actually read the Bible. If we're going to combat Satan's attacks, if we are to combat discouragement, if we are to combat the lies that Satan has given us all the time that we're not worth it, we're not good enough, we're not, we don't measure up, if we are to combat that, it has to be combated with the words of Christ. It has to be combated with Scripture. 
right? And so instead of when we're discouraged and knocked down and we can't measure up to the all, instead of saying, I can't do it, and we turn away from God, we have to pause and say, all right, well, what does God's word actually say? Because maybe that can help. So if we read the New Testament, 61 times scripture calls you saints. 61 times. Your identity now is a saint in the family of God. If I were to feel discouraged, if I were to feel guilty, shame, regret, I can go to scripture and read Acts 13, 38, and I can know, know knowledge. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So now, when I don't measure up to all, I can read scripture and say, well, I don't feel forgiven, but I know what God's word says, and it declares me, it proclaims me forgiven. My new identity is forgiven. All right, maybe I'm okay. It gives me rest. It gives me pause. But I don't, when I know I'm not right with God, I can read 2 Corinthians 5.21, and the second part says, so that in him we might become, become the righteousness of God. And so now we here know that we are saints. We know that we are forgiven. We know that we are declared and proclaimed righteous. When God looks down at you today, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on you. That's who you are. Righteous children of God. Failing? Sure. Bought by the blood? Yes, you are. Bought by the blood of Jesus. Knowing God's word is so vital to enjoying Jesus Christ. If you don't know his word, you don't know his character, you don't know your true identity. The second thing we need to do is we actually need to believe what the word says. It's one thing to know the knowledge. It's one thing for us to be able to quote scripture, sure, but we need to start believing in it. To believe the promises of God means that we have to have hope in them. We have to have hope that they will come true, that they are given, that they are given to us as his children. So our belief in God's word is tethered to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Believing God's word changes how we see things, how we speak, and how we act. So if we know Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if we know that verse, God sacrificed his son for us. If we know that, but now if we have hope in it, how do we not run to him for more help? If we know that he's willing to give Jesus to us, why would he not give us help? Why would he not give us wisdom? Why would he not give us grace? Why would he not give us mercy? Why would he not give us everything we ask for for his glory? He will. We have to have hope in that. That as we fail, that mercy is given. As we fail, forgiveness is given over and over and over and over again. You cannot out God's grace. You can't. Because it's been declared to you that you are forgiven. A third application is this. That we love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind by living in his truth. By living in his truth. So knowing his word, believing his word, and now actually living in it or obeying in it or acting as though we are. So as I'm left with this dual identity, saint and sinner... Knowing that his standard is perfection, knowing that I fall short, now I can start to see why 
teaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Now I see why I'm supposed to pick up my cross every day is so important because it puts us in the position, not as woe is me, but woe is he. That was just like off the top of my head. Maybe that was cheesy. I don't know. Thank you. Right? Now it's not about me and my sinfulness, my falling short. Now it's all about his glory, his goodness, his gift, his son, his cross, his sacrifice. It's about Jesus. And now I start acting like a saint. I start acting like I am redeemed. So when I fail at giving God my heart, my desires, maybe I go to Ezekiel 36 where I go and I say, God, you, you promised in Ezekiel you were to give me a new heart new desires, new thoughts, new passions. God, I, I need that new heart right now. And we know and we act like the new heart we have. When I fail at giving God my soul and I question my security, I question my goodness, I, I question my passion for God, maybe I go to John 10, 28, and I go, God, no one can pluck me from your hand. I am secure. I am in your grip. I'm yours forever. I cannot outsin your goodness. And I start acting like I am forgiven and secure. When I fail at giving God my mind, when my mind wanders to sin, when my, when my mind wanders from holiness and goodness, and I say, God, Romans 12, 2 says, you renew my mind, and I need that today. Renew me, restore me, make me more like Jesus. And he will, and he does, and he is, because he has promised to do so. In the book, <clears throat> Faith vs. Faithfulness, uh, the authors write this. I think it's on the screen. In Christ, we are given grace because we are sinners. We are given peace because we have troubled consciences. We feel like God's enemy, but he has told us that we are his children, Romans 8, 15. We really are good with God, and he is good with us. And on that solid rock, in his merit, we find sure place to rest. And I would say, resting in Christ, resting in the, in the finished work of Jesus Christ gives us joy and helps us love God more. It's not about us falling short of the standards, not us not being able to do it. It's about that Jesus did it. Now we can just stand and worship and love and adore Jesus as we are. Recipients of grace and mercy and the cross bought by Jesus. There's no more doing things. It's just enjoying him. There's no more trying to earn. It's been given. There's no more trying to fix things. It's been fixed by Christ. Now we can rest in Jesus and just love him in our broken selves. And God finds joy in us. When we claim the blood of Christ, when we ask for forgiveness, it makes God happy. We definitely need to do things. Knowing God's word, applying God's word. There's things that we need to do. We still need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We still need to serve. We still need to love. We still need to do stuff. That's true. But when we fail at loving God with our all, instead of running away from God, now we run towards him knowing who we are, knowing that grace has been given. I'm convinced that the more we know God, the more we'll want to worship 
the more we receive grace, the more we will praise him. The more we see all the mercy we have been given, the more we're going to be in love with Jesus. The more we understand the power of the cross, the more thankful of a people we will be. That's where I want us to maybe transition this morning. Where we're going to go next is I want, we want to love God with all of ourselves, all of our heart, soul, and mind. And it starts with the gospel. It starts with knowing what was actually given to you as adopted children of God. It starts with saying, God, I, I can't do it. I was sinful, right? I, I, every day I fall short, but every day you give yourself. And if the church continually lives this way, if Sunday mornings are a place where we can come and we can all say, I messed up, and we can encourage one another, and we can love one another, and we can praise Jesus together, this is a place that the world would be, this place is different. There's no shaming, there's no guilt, there's no embarrassment, there's no put-downs, there's no anything negative because we are all recipients of the blood of Jesus Christ. It should be a place where we can come and we can say, I messed up, but Jesus forgave me. And we worship and we praise and we love him. And so Bethel, the bottom line of loving God the very bottom simple thing about how we love God is we love God because he loved us first. He opened our eyes. He chose us by his wisdom, by his grace. And he says, I want you. I want you. And we say, God, we love you.